Today's Dead Idea, we are continuing our epic-length monster series on the medieval Irish geish, or soul-binding rule that kills you. <laughs> See our episode one, but basically the rundown is someone would place a geish on you, and you had to follow that rule or doom would befall you. For example, we heard last time that the hero Cahullan had a geish placed on him that he could not eat dog meat. We also heard that King Conaira had one that he could not travel clockwise around his capital of Terra. And if you did either of those things, basically the powers of fate would conspire against you. So the geish was indeed a jinx of doom. That's what we're talking about today on Dead Ideas. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. The music we just heard was composed by Rachel Westhoff, my lovely wife, who has placed a geisha on me that I must eat everything with chopsticks now. <laughs> uh, so, wish me luck with that. Uh, I'm BT Newberg, but you can call me Brandon. With me once again is my co-host for the day, Andre Solo. Hey, everybody. Thank you for being on the show again. It's an honor to be here. Yes. Get it? We, honor? We, honor? We, we heard about honor big time <laughs> last time. Uh, last time we talked about the concept of the geish, and we heard from Andre about how honor played into that, and how the honor culture in Ireland developed out of the old Irish warband. Yes. And became part of the whole culture for everybody. Yes. Yeah. Short version for anyone who didn't listen, basically loyalty and honor. If you didn't have honor and you broke and ran in, in battle, you didn't just doom yourself, you doomed the guy next to you and all of your buddies. So yeah. it was very important to keep your word and be honorable. Yeah, and a geish was almost, and this is speculating a bit, but a geish almost served to demonstrate that you were someone who kept your word. If you kept the geish that was placed on you, followed that rule, it was, in some sense, yeah. equivalent to saying, I will keep rank exactly. in, and, and not doom you in battle. You even if you never, upon. Yeah, yeah. You, you could be counted upon, even if you never actually found yourself in battle. That was part of, at the heart of their culture. Yeah. And so... Yeah, it kind of it kind of makes sense a little bit now. I think we should bring back the geish. <laughs> we should make, make geish great again. Make geish great again. <laughs> make America geish again. That's yes. great. I love that. <laughs> okay. So, uh, this time, we are going to go even deeper into Irish culture, medieval Irish culture, and we're going to hear about the times. Uh, we are going to take on some roles, some perspectives, so we can peer out onto medieval Irish culture from those perspectives within Irish society. And we are going to get a deep sense of what that social structure was like. And I know that sounds boring, but let me tell you, it is not. It was so, it was really fun researching this. There's a lot of really cool stuff. It's totally different than what you think of for medieval societies. So stay, in, stay tuned. Okay, so by the way, most of what we're going to be talking about today that comes from a book by Nerese Patterson called Cattle Lords and Klansmen. Thank you for recommending that, Andre. Absolutely. Cattle Lords and Klansmen. I'm pretty sure that was one of the early modules of Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> I think, back in the 70s. Uh, not, yeah, I'm going to get look... all the magic cattle and get away with them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Patterson, uh, she gets most of her information from a genre of medieval Irish literature called the Law Tracts that specified in exacting detail the ranks of society and what was owed to whom when and how much. And so that's 
how we get such detail about what medieval Irish society was like probably wasn't completely accurate to how it really was. Probably was a bit idealized, I would say, but we get a lot more detail than you would ever expect. So, yes. And we'll throw the link to her book in the notes yeah. as well. Definitely. Yeah, well, well, in the show notes, we always have like the main oh, references, beautiful. so great. you can just you can see exactly. Yep, it's Perfect. that book. Yeah. Okay, so now it's time to drop into medieval Ireland and get a sense of the time and the place. Uh, and we're going back to the 10th century, which is when it's not when Gaish started. We don't know when exactly it started. It comes from kind of a deep misty past of of Irish culture, but the 10th century is when. It, the epics start getting woven together from earlier fragments, which portray even earlier times that include Gesa. So, so the 10th century is when it all kind of comes together. And we have to kind of imagine that there must have been a reason why, even in the 10th century, this thing from like a deep pagan past still resonates with them. So we'll kind of be playing with that idea as we go through. That. I feel like we need some like theme music right now, like some really like stereotypical Irish music playing in the background and like the sound <laughs> of like a pub behind us. <laughs> <You know? laughs> maybe, maybe we can get that done. Really in immerse into the world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're in the 10th century here and we're going to zero in specifically because I always like when we go to a precise time, Excellent. we're going to go specifically to the year 902 Ooh. CE. Okay. It was a good year. Yeah, well, it was a good year. <laughs> it was, and I'll tell you why it was a good year. We, the Irish, just won a great battle at Drogheda. And that battle drove out certain foreign invaders that had been terrorizing us for nearly a century. Can you guess who those foreign invaders were? Uh, I would I would just hazard a guess that they may have been the Vikings. They were the Vikings, yes. <laughs> yes, they were definitely the Vikings. Now, I'm not going to say too much about the Vikings because we're going to hear all about the Vikings' impact uh, when we talk to Finn Duar of the Irish History Podcast. Stay tuned for a coming episode where we interview Finn Duar. But just a little bit because it really affects the culture. Okay, So we... Previous to the Vikings attacking us and raiding us and pillaging us and raping us and everything else, had been experiencing something of a golden age. So first we were like pagans in the deep past. Then around the fifth century you get Christianization starting to happen, and Patrick and everything else happens. And then you, there's kind of this flourishing of monastic traditions in Ireland. And there's kind of a golden age uh, where the Irish uh, monks are deeply respected even outside of Ireland to the point that kings in France would be, they would boast of having an Irish monk in their court. So we were kind of a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we also produced a little something called the Book of Kells. <laughs> you might have heard of it. Uh, an illuminated gospel that's just very cherry, right? <laughs> really nice. And I think that's really worth emphasizing because I think a lot of times in the modern world, we think of Ireland as, as a, you know, it's a small nation. Mm -hmm. It's had troubles in the recent past. You don't think of it as a major world player. And it hasn't been in, in the recent past, but in the early medieval period, yeah. uh, they were. They were highly respected for their uh, learning and their education and, and all kinds of things. So it was a big deal back in the day. Yeah. yeah, but here's the thing. The Vikings effed it up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we never really recovered after that. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so uh, the Vikings started raiding our coasts and just attacking us. And the thing about the Vikings is they would come on their ships 
And by the time you could muster a defense, they'd already be gone off over the next wave in their ships. You couldn't really yeah. fight them. They weren't fighting fair. Yeah, well, not the way anybody had fought before. Yeah. And so, to that degree, it was kind of like our 9-11 moment. Because they were kind of like terrorists that you can't really fight them in the conventional way. Right. It was like, oh shit, what do we do now? And we're just, you just, it, they're a terror, you know? So, I analogize Wait, it that way. Is this the beginning way. of how the Irish sent a contingent of chariot fighters to Iraq? <laughs> and then but then they got involved in nation building and Iri inserting irish culture everywhere oh, and man, yeah. it just didn't work out well <laughs> no but so we've we've experienced a century that was just traumatizing okay but just this year 902 at Drogheda, we finally managed to get an engagement with the vikings that's you know army against army and we just wiped the floor with them right. and drove them off Little do we know they'll be back in like 12 years, oh, they'll be but, back. <laughs> but right now we're feeling pretty good. Right now we're feeling like Obama being like, we got Bin Laden. Right. <laughs> yeah, so that's where we're at right now in Irish history. So maybe that affects, you know, why the poets start to bring together literature to kind of rebuild a sense of pride in, in Irish culture. I mean, there was no... Ireland, per se, at the time. It's this patchwork of all these different kingdoms and clans fighting each other, and no sense that I'm Irish. You're like, I'm from this region, I'm from that region, I'm from this clan, I'm from that clan. But, something, you know. Yeah. So, let's talk about dress. Now, what are we wearing? Wait, wait, that's, that's the first, that's that the is, first step on our ladder here. Now, that is the best transition I've ever made, I know. <laughs> the, the Vikings are in retreat. <laughs> A golden age has ended. Yeah. Let's talk about clothing. Yes. Fashion. <laughs> because, because nothing makes me feel more like I'm there than kind of like knowing like what I'm wearing and what I look like, what you look like. Yes. Right? Okay. So. Right. So just to give our, our listeners an idea... Uh, to make this a little more real, Brandon and I are both dressed in about 40 pounds a piece of wool right now. <laughs> Just right. nothing but wool. Well, I'm joking, but that's kind of how it was. Like, uh, it, it was it was a cold climate, you know. And then mm -hmm. they had a, had a warm summer, but there were a lot of cold, rainy days. Um, it was a very damp climate. Mm -hmm. And one of their biggest, uh, you know, animals that they would raise were sheep. Mm -hmm. uh, and the great thing about wool is that it holds your body heat in just as well when it's wet as it does when it's dry. Mm -hmm. So if you get soaked in a bog, soaked in a rainstorm, soaked with sweat, it still keeps you warm, even mm -hmm. though it's damp. You know? Oh, wow. I didn't know that. And so, yeah, it's really cool material for that reason. So it, people wore a lot of wool. They also had linen. They had lighter materials. Um, and, you know, that was, I think, a bit finer of a cloth, a bit more expensive, maybe. Mm -hmm. So you would maybe have, like, one or two good linen shirts if you were uh, a peasant or something like that. And you would just wear them all the time. But a lot of what you wore would be wool. Hmm. That makes sense. And basically, I think that so the guys would wear trousers. They could also wear kind of what you think of as a medieval like tunic with leggings under it. A lena. Yes, they called a lena. Yeah. Lena. Yeah. yeah. Which, which, as I, what my research showed was that both men and women basically yes. wore similar things. The yes. tunic, the lena. That is a, yeah, that's both genders would use the lena. Okay. With a, with a kind of cloak around your shoulders or called a brat. a brat. Yes. Now, when we say cloak, don't. Don't picture, like, what Superman wears as a cape or, like, a traveling cloak from, like, you know, the 1800s. Basically, picture if you just went to a fabric store and said, I need nine yards of your best wool, please. Uh -huh. And they just rolled out nine yards in one big, long rectangle, 27 feet. And you just cut that, and it took that big rectangle and just wrapped it around yourself. Yeah, that's... Over and over until you were bundled <laughs> up. 
And they weren't always that long. If you were rich, you'd have one that long. But I mean, even a poorer person, you'd have nine, 12 feet of wool that you just wrapped in like almost like a sari from hmm. India. One big wrap around you. Okay, yeah. cool. Okay, so here's also what I heard. A little bit more. Okay, let's talk about women. So we said the dress is similar, but in terms of hair, women have pleated or braided hair. For cosmetics, cheeks blushed with elderberry juice mm. and nails crimsoned. I didn't find out exactly what that meant, but some I'm kind assuming of elderberry juice. Probably <laughs> the all-purpose pigment, <laughs> nail polish. And this was interesting: eyebrows blackened with darkberry juice. Yeah, so this is great. So people, when you think of like a tip, like a, a typical or stereotypical Irish person, I think most Americans picture someone with red hair, mm -hmm. and that's very rare actually in Ireland. Um, and it's not even considered an Irish trait. It, it's supposedly that came across with the Vikings originally. It's a mm -hmm. Norse trait. Um, but the Irish, the, the typical, like if you go back and read all the medieval stories, what they think of as like the ideal of beauty is a man or a woman with raven black hair mm. and blush red cheeks and snow white skin. Wow. So pale skin, red cheeks, the blush, red lips, and dark hair and eyebrows. So the idea that they'd be reddening their cheeks with elderberry juice and darkening their eyebrows, it's exactly like nowadays, like, you know, like blonde is the thing to be, so people bleach their hair. Uh -huh. It's a perfect analog. They're like, well, I might have been born with brown hair instead of black hair, but I'm going to just darken it. Right. Yeah. Which also highlights how fair you are. It would are make your skin look fairer. Because yeah. of the contrast. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's cool. Uh, now, for men, long hair with mustaches and beards if you're an aristocrat, or just long mustaches if you're like a laborer or something. I feel like I see these guys at the coffee shop yeah. all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very popular medieval Irish look yeah. now. Uh, what was it called? A lumber sexual? So what would we have here? Like a... Like a a sexual. <laughs> Irish sexual. I don't know. Okay, so um, the Toyn, which is one of the epics, yep. uh, we heard a story from it last time, depicts hair in braids for men as well. In fact, one test for getting into a fion? Fin. A fin. fin. Getting into a fin or warrior band uh, was sprinting through the forest without getting your braids caught in the branches. Yes. <laughs> while so, a guy chases you. So you can't get caught by the guy, but even if you get away safely, they're going to check your hair later. If your hair got messed up, you're out. You can't okay. get in. Yeah, so, so, so braids. frat hazing here. Yeah, so yeah. a few centuries later... In 1297, which is a little bit after what we're talking about here, but it's relevant, you get something called the Norman Invasion of Ireland, where the English come over and start screwing things up. For the first of, of several times. Yes, yeah. yes. At that point, the Dublin Parliament, now ruled by the Normans, ended up banning young Normans from going native with their hair in the Irish fashion, which was shaved in the front, yes. but long in the back. And this hairstyle was called a coolin. Right. And they were so against, like, the culture's mixing that they had to ban it because the young James Deans of the day were kind of, like, taking on this local style. Yeah. 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 So the, the point of all this is that if it represented Irishness by 1297, it was probably a traditional right. hairstyle that would have gone back to the period we are talking about, yeah. which is 902 CE. Right. Okay. All right. So, so we're, you know... We just won this big battle against the Vikings, right? So we're fist bumping each other in our blackened eyebrows and in our mullets and stuff, right? But we're also deeply disturbed about when we look around and we see like just this Ireland laid waste by Viking raids. And we used to be in a golden age and now we're just not. Right. <laughs> so, and it's also a little bit of, I think, people often have wishful thinking about the past. So uh -huh. there is the fact that they had been flourishing more earlier. And then uh -huh. there's also to the extent to which they built that up in their heads is like, 
well, life is tough now. Obviously, it was better in the Golden Age. I think every Golden Age is like 50% history and 50% like we wish it was that good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. So it makes sense that the poets would now start to look back to mm. a time before when things are better. Right. But interestingly, they don't just go back to the Christian era. They go back even deeper than that to like right. the deep pagan past. Yeah which is where the kind of gesh magical ideas yeah. kind of come into. And there's some interesting history there, which is that Ireland often wanted to present itself as like a unified country. Uh. But the high king, who technically may have ruled over the whole island, was largely a ritual figure. You know, like the, the kings so. of all the local areas, of all the tribes and all the provinces, would maybe go see the high king once a year and, and say some nice things to him. But basically, they ran their place their own way. So he didn't really have power. He didn't have over a lot of power. Ireland. But yeah. they t- tended to look back to the heroic era, which uh-huh. is even before the Christian period. Yeah. As a time when the High King was, you know, it was a very, it was a very uh, unified country. There were f- they were always thought of it as four provinces: the That's north, how the they south. They depicted it. They depicted it. Yeah. The north, the south, the east, and the west, each having a a, pro- a king of that province, and those four kings serving this the High King in Tara, which is mm-hmm. the center of Ireland. Yeah. Um, and this idea that everything was balanced and there were these great glorious moments and it was a heroic culture. And the heroic stories tell of, t- tell of a time when honor meant something, when great heroes did great deeds. To put it in perspective, even though the early Irish were very proud to be Christian, they had mm-hmm. converted in a very peaceful manner for the most part, they weren't converted at the sword point like some cultures. Mm-hmm. So they were proud to be Christian and they were very devout, but they, even in their own stories written down by the monks, they describe how when Finn McCool, one of the ancient Irish heroes, returned from the other world and came back to Ireland in his old age, and he met St. Patrick, and you know now it's hundreds of years after Finn's original time in the, in the uh-huh. period of heroes, now it's the Christian era, and Patrick's converting people, and they talk about how he was taller than everyone else, how people used to be taller back in the heroic age, uh-huh. and everybody else was almost like a dwarf compared to Finn McCool, you uh-huh. know? And they do glorify that, like, no, we were something even before Christianity came. We were Uh always something. And so that's a really strong concept in Irish culture is that, like, we have this, at that time period, they had this idea that there was this heroic, almost like the Trojan War, kind of like an age of great heroes doing great deeds. Mm -hmm. Men were tall. Women were beautiful. Everything was, you know, great. Mm -hmm. And the medieval reality was was much starker than that. So it was easy to sort of, like, fantasticize it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, now at this point, what I'm going to do is we're going to do the choice, the sort of role play. So what I'm going to do, uh, Andre, is I'm going to give you a choice of three possible roles that you can take on. These are typical roles, sort of like social stations in medieval Ireland. And I'm going to take one too. And listeners, you can imagine yourself taking one as well. And then we're going to sort of look at medieval Irish society from these particular perspectives and do our best to try to like kind of like you know get into that the head of that kind of a person great okay so you want to know your three choices I want to know my three choices okay door number one yes (laughs) you can be an Ira or Lord okay door number two you can be a Faini or farmer and uh, I know farmer sounds way less fun than being a Lord (laughs) But that's one of the most interesting ones. Would that, that be I a found. landowning farmer? Uh, yes, oh, but the but but the the part about that who owns the land and mm, why okay. is kind of different than you might think. Right. Okay. So yeah, and the third choice, door number three, is to be a fear yes. or a transitional slave, <laughs> which <laughs> I found to be one of the most intriguing of all. Too. Right. Yeah. I. Uh... 
I, I have a big ego and I usually want to go for whatever is the most glorious thing. So I'm going to try to subvert that instinct. Okay. I am. I want to be the feeder. I want to be the, the indentured servant, the transitional slave. Okay. Yeah. Feature? Feature or feeder, yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, so I am going to choose to be the the feigny, the farmer. Great. Okay. Awesome. So we've got a, I'm a farmer. You are a transitional We're slave. We're both like the working man here. Yeah. There's no... No lords in this group. Okay, so let's first... Okay, since since we're both on the bottom of the totem pole, Perfect. let's talk about the man. Yes, <laughs> yes. We can gang up on oh, the man that here. So <laughs> let's talk about the lords, the Ira first. Right. Okay, so first off, we have to note that an Ira or lord in medieval Ireland could be either a man or a woman. Right. Granted, it was usually a man. Right. And like you said last time, it was a very patriarchal society. It was just slightly less bad than all the other patriarchal societies yeah. at the time, right? Slightly better for women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. For any for anyone listening who has heard of ancient Ireland as being this like egalitarian feminist, like, yeah, it was happy not place, equal opportunity. It wasn't. And just to give a very clear idea of that, yeah, uh, everyone had a marriage price. Like they had a, a price, you know, based on the status of their family and yeah. like how much their honor was personally worth. Yeah, your honor price. And yeah. uh, uh, if you were a, a, a a, a father, and you had two children, a, a son and a daughter, automatically the daughter's price was half that of your son. Yeah, exactly 50%. Immediately, men had twice the honor price of women. And <laughs> the ideal match was a man would marry someone who has half his honor price, meaning the same honor price as his sister. That was the ideal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. They, We're literally, gonna they literally put a price tag on every human life and said, women... 50% off. They're just not worth as much. Yeah. So I'm very sorry to our female listeners. We're going to hear more about uh, the position of women Great. in, in medieval good. Ireland when we talk to Dr. Jillian Kenny yes. on the upcoming episode. Uh, and I want to ask her about that, too. Yes. The only thing that I found that could mitigate that 50% rule, I found a reference in Patterson that said, if the woman was able to provide for fuva and ruva, which was the attack and defense or military service that was owed to your lord right. or to your, whoever's your higher up, uh, then you might be able to get up to the full honor right. price. Yeah, because you can increase your honor price in the Irish system. It's uh -huh. just not easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're getting ahead of ourselves. Okay, yes. so okay, okay. Most most lords were men. You're saying yeah. So yeah. most lords were men, but you could be a lord if you were a woman, because women could own their own property and lands, which did not become the property of the husband upon marriage right. necessarily. In fact, you had you had your property. He had his property. And then you would also kind of both contribute to a joint conjugal fund yes. called a toinal, I think it is. Yep. A tonal? Tinal. Tinal. Yep. Okay. Tinal. Uh, so it's kind of like having a joint bank account today <laughs> to pay the bills with. That's exactly But right. the point is that you as a woman could have your own land yes. and therefore could be. And, an and if you split up that money, that wealth that you brought in when you came into the marriage goes with you. Like the woman gets to keep the money she brought in when she, if you, if, if you split up. Yeah. yeah if you divorce, Which divorce yeah. was allowed by the way. Yeah. So cool. Okay. Now the IRA in medieval Ireland is also very different than in other areas for other reasons too. You are a Lord. If you're an IRA, not by birthright and not by own, virtue of owning lands either, but by virtue of having clients, right? You contract with farmers. I'm a farmer here in this scenario. So the Lord would contract with me. I would become his client. And the more clients he could attract, the bigger Lord he was, basically. That was his power base. Um, and the actual, the levels of status and rank for Lords actually was a mathematical like measure of how yes. many 
clients you had. Yeah, it's like an algorithm for how yeah. important of a lord you are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's your power base if you're a lord, is your, your farmer clients. What's more, if your clients default on their loans... Oh, here's the thing. Okay, so when I contract with my lord, my lord grants me a loan of cattle and other things, which I will then later pay back to him, plus right. interest. And along with that also comes a few other things owed to him, like military service and labor and things like that. So it's a rough like loan to take out from the bank. Yeah, the it's a loan call, called a Roth, I think it is. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, like a loan from a bank. But what's more, also like in a bank, if I default on my loan, I can't pay it back, or I don't pay it back, then the Lord is entitled to get even more out of me or my kin through a process called distraint. And, be, and the thing is, like, why would I default on my loan? Probably because I can't pay it back. So if I can't pay it back, in the Irish system, it goes on to your kin or your yes. other people that are involved in kind of like a complicated insurance system, basically. Yeah. And so the Lord actually almost wants me to default right. because he'll get more out of me that way. And so lords actually would pressure farmers to take on more loans or bigger loans right. than they could, they could than they could realistically handle yeah. so that they would be more likely to default. That definitely doesn't sound like anything modern at all. <laughs> yeah. And I will say, too, that's something really important to understand, like looking at medieval Ireland, is that the basic unit of society was not the individual. The basic unit of society was the family group. Kin. And yes. if you made any kind of contract or committed any kind of crime, your entire family is responsible for carrying out the contract or paying for the crime. Like if, if I commit a crime, I steal somebody's sheep and then I can't be found or the sheep can't be recovered. Mm -hmm. My whole family is on the hook for paying the fine and paying back the sheep. Yeah. Yeah. So your family wants you to not do, not do because that. they're yeah. going to be the ones left paying for the bill. And there's a whole section then in the Irish laws about who can and cannot make contracts. Like because I, I if I just go and make a contract willy nilly, it gets my whole family on the hook. Right. So there was actually a rule about who in the family is even allowed to make contracts. Okay. And you couldn't always make a contract with someone. You'd have to go to talk to the head of their family to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Also, interestingly, um, if you were married, the woman could veto a contract. Oh, I love make. it. Okay, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. yeah. So you both have to agree to it. The checks and balances in the early Irish yeah. law system. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. So, yeah, your kin is incentivized to make sure that you are supported enough that you don't default on any of your loans to your lords, right? And also, the lord is incentivized to keep you happy. I mean, he wants you, he wants you to default partly because mm. then he can get more out of you and your family. But he also, remember also his rank is based on mm. how many clients he can attract. And here's the thing, right. you're not client for life. There's like a period, a number of years over which, after which the, con the contract expires. And after that, you might just contract with a different lord if you didn't have a good experience right. with this one. And you can actually even take on multiple contracts. Wow. So you have multiple lords at the same time. Oh, that's going to be complicated so, for the military service. Oh, yes. Wow, okay. It is. It is. Yes. So it was a very, very delicate system, very, very nuanced and stuff. Okay, so uh, rank is really important to you. That's not only how you basically get food on your table from having clients who owe you these things like providing food for your table and whatnot, but also you're competing with all the other lords and trying to climb up the ladder, right? right. And this is so, it, it's, it's so like out in the open and just clear to the point that for one of the ranks of the lords, I forget which one, you are supposed to maintain one horse with a silver bridle and four horses with a blue bridle. Right. 
So you could clearly point to, I, I am this rank because I have these horses. You can yeah. see the horses I rode in on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and rank even follows you to the point of determining the kind of food that you are entitled to eat. So you have to imagine, like, if you're, like, the shitty-ass farmer who's stuck with a job of, like, providing for uh, a feast of all these lords, and that that is something that happened because you would tour around your lands and, right. and your, your clients would have to feast you guys. Right. It would be a nightmare because everybody has their own menu of the foods that they're entitled they're to eat. eat. Yeah. Yes. And I do, I always get the sense when I look at that part of the ancient Irish laws that that probably only applied at formal feasts like that. Formal feasts, If you're yes. in your uh, roundhouse with your family, you can eat whatever part of the pig you want, you know. <laughs> but once you were hosting other people of other ranks, it's it's an etiquette thing. It's like the Japanese tea ceremony or mm. something like that, where it's like you do everything a certain way and you have to know the rules and you have to do it right. So this person gets the big shoulder of pork and this person gets yeah. this. Yeah. yeah, I imagine so. Yeah. And this is instilled in you, even from, like, birth, basically. Right. By the time you're three years old, your food that you are served is differentiated based on what rank in society you are. So, for example, your porridge, which was called stirabout. Yep. I love that. <laughs> if you are born to a farmer, you get to eat oatmeal on buttermilk. Great. If you are born to a lord, you get to eat new milk with fresh butter. But if you are born to a king, you get stirabout from new milk with wheat meal and honey. Hmm. So that even at three years old, you can tell who is what rank. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. No sharing at lunch. Yeah. So it's, no it's, it's very clear in this society like that there are ranks, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> imagine, if you're, imagine if you went into your local grocery store today. And, like, your Wheaties had, like, three different shelves, <laughs> right? And you had to only buy from your from statuses, your rank's shelf. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the, but the other side of the coin with this, though, is that although this system is very detailed and very hierarchical, yeah. one of the things about medieval Ireland is it was one of the more socially mobile medieval societies. Like, if you were born as a farmer who owned land, but you're not a lord, you don't have clients... But you have, but you, over the course of your life, amass the money to start taking on clients. You get enough cattle where you can loan 50 mm -hmm. cattle out mm -hmm. to, to a client. And you have enough uh, money to attract a wife who's of a noble station, that kind yep. of stuff. You can climb the ladder yep. and move to a higher station, which is why knowing all of these little nitty-gritty rules really matters. And likewise, if you're down on your luck, you lose all your cattle in a, a pestilence or something, mm -hmm. you can fall down the ladder and you go from being a lord to a landowning farmer to having to hawk your land to being a peasant. It's like you snakes can, and ladders. It is, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, and we are going to get into that oh, in great. just a moment, oh, too. So, yeah. now I, so now we talked about the man, right? Right. And now let's move guys to... guys with their honeyed stirabout. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, now let's talk about the farmers. Great. So I, I'm a Fania farmer, right? Okay, so all of this rank stuff applies just as much to farmers as it does to the lords that we're talking about. Okay? And so this Irish society, if, if you're the type of person who likes to level up in a game like this, you'd love this. Because <laughs> just like Andre was saying, you can climb the ladder, but, but also you could actually slip back down. So, okay. Uh, so, according to at least one of the law, tra law tracts, uh, this one is called the Creech Gaulich that this is coming from, there are seven levels of farmers. It also has seven levels of lords, by the way, but I'm not going to go into all that detail. But I want to use the farmers at least as an example to give you a taste of this. So, seven levels of farmer. Right, let's go through. Okay. Perfect. So, at the lowest level, what I'm going to call a level one farmer. Level one, <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> the, the, the Irish would call you a first fermiva. Okay. Okay. And fermiva means man between huts. And it basically refers to a typical young person that's still economically dependent on their oh, okay. parents. Great. So basically it's like a guy living in their parents' basement still. Yeah, right. <laughs> so in your honor price, because everybody, as Andre was saying, everybody in this society has a defined, numerically defined honor price. Right, you have a literal worth. Yes, yeah. yes, which determines the size of the contracts that you can take on. It determines the dowry dowry in air quotes they had didn't exactly have dowries but the right. equivalent yeah. in irish culture it determines uh what you could claim as recompense if you are either a killed in which case the recompense goes to your kin right b just injured c just plain insulted you could claim as recompense honor price please right. those are damages <laughs> yeah know? yeah exactly in, in a civilization fueled by honor yes yeah yeah, yeah. So you had this honor price, everybody did, and if you were the lowest level of farmer, a, fair, a first fair miva, your honor price was defined in the law as from a needle to a dirch. And I'm not sure what dirch is, but a needle gives you an idea. <laughs> not much. <laughs> like you get some, some spinning equipment if, yeah. if you're injured. Yeah. Like, I imagine, well, sorry you're injured, here's your spinning wheel. Yeah. Maybe a needle was, maybe it took some crafting that made it a little bit expensive, but right. basically... It was like I could go to my local CVS and get what I needed to pay your honor price. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. If you reach level two farmer, Ding. you are <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> you become a second fermiva. Okay. And you rise to this rank if you have a small cabin of your own. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. okay. And at this point your honor price is a female calf. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So like a young cow. Like a young Female heifer. young yeah. cow. Young heifer, yeah. Great. Well, At this point, you can enter clientship with a lord. Wow. The contract so that the we were talking about. So the first fermiva cannot. Can't. Nope. But the second fermiva. Yep. You, okay. can, you can now make contracts where you take on a wrath or a loan from the lord and be liable for paying it back. And you can rent up to four cows by contract. Ooh. So I like that the honor price limits, like you can't. You might be able to get yourself in over your head. Like yeah. if you borrow the four cows and you, you lose two of them and you can't right. pay them back. But there is a limit. You can't go to the Lord and be like, I want a hundred cows. Yeah. Because they're exactly. just like, listen, you haven't proven yourself yet. You don't exactly. have the means to support a hundred cows. To, so to some extent, it was a protection for you because the Lord can't force you to take on a bigger a future, loan right. than is likely to be your means like at the, that station. It's like the Fair Lending and Credit Act of <laughs> yeah. 10th century Ireland. Yes. <laughs> okay. Level three. At level three, you are an Okaira. And you hit this rank when you own a small house. One-fourth share of a plow. So mm. you've got four other guys. Right. Or three other guys and yeah. you all sharing a plow. You and three guys can collectively yeah. plow some fields. Mm -hmm. right. Seven cows and seven cools of land, which a cool is a, a unit of measurement in medieval so Ireland. a unit of value. A unit of value. Yeah. But it literally means a slave girl. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just going to put a giant asterisk right here and talk a little bit about that because, um, first of all, yes, the Irish had slaves. So uh -huh. we're just going to put that right out there. Yeah. Secondly, everything I'm about to say is going to kind of sound like I'm trying to say, but the slavery wasn't so bad. <laughs> but I want to just stop right there and say the slavery was bad. Slavery uh -huh. is always awful. Yeah. Now, with that said, 
I'm going to just go on and distinguish that the kind of slavery we're talking about here is a little different mm -hmm. than the slavery we think of when we think of like the Civil War and that kind of thing. Right. The first thing to bear in mind is that everyone involved here is Irish. There was not a racial dimension to this. Maybe occasionally it was somebody who was half Viking or half English or something like that. You know, there was some mixing between the countries, but there was no skin color difference. There was no racial difference. If you became a slave, it was because you basically defaulted on your credit or mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. You know, so that does not make it good. It is horrifically bad. But I just want to be clear, there's not a racial element there. Yeah. There might be an ethnic element, like British or... Something or like that, yeah. yeah. So just to put it in perspective, it's all, like, white-skinned people doing this. And then mm -hmm. the last thing I would just say is that the slavery would involve, like, yeah, you're not an important person, but you weren't treated necessarily in subhuman conditions. Like, you were treated as, like, an unpaid worker on the land, but you had to provide for your slaves and things like that. It's a little bit less horrific than what we think of as the slavery that typified, like, the American South, mm -hmm. where there were horrific, torturous punishments and things yeah. like that. And a or sense like of Haiti. the inhumanity of the, the slave. Right, yeah. yeah. So it was like you're in a low, low, low working position, and you couldn't, you didn't have the option of leaving to go somewhere else. Yeah. You could eventually work it off, I think, and... It I think that depended on what type of slave What type of slave we'll, you were. Yeah, we'll get into that when we talk about the right. future. And, of course, the cool is specifically... So that's what we're talking about here, is the value of the land is measured in how many cools it's worth. Yeah. And the cool is a female slave. Uh-huh. I don't know. Is do you, do you know from reading, is there a sexual element to that? I don't think you're allowed to just use them... I'm really sorry. This is like a gross I subject. I feel dirty <laughs> just saying this. I imagine so. I feel I mean, it's like a scullery girl who, like, does your mending and cleans your yeah. kitchen and cooks food, but I don't think you're allowed to just, like grab them are you i i wouldn't be surprised if you did but i didn't read anything either way right i, I feel like the marriage rules would still apply because like in early ireland the definition of a marriage was you had sex with the person okay and ideally you and your family would work out a contract between the two families first before you did that uh -huh. but basically if you if a man has sex with a woman or vice versa they are in a financial entanglement and if a child comes of it then there are legal rules in the law tracts that the man has to do this and the woman has to do this, and you're yeah. entangled. So if, if a man were to pounce, so to speak, on his female servant, maybe he could get away with it, but he would also then be legally on the hook for the kids and all kinds of other mm -hmm. compensation. Sure. So I would say at the very least there's some checks on it, Okay. but I, I also wouldn't be surprised if there was not really a, a That's another good thing that. to ask Jillian. Jillian yeah, Taney you should definitely ask her yeah. about that. Okay. Uh, so, okay. Anyway, so, so, the, anyway. so he has to have <laughs> land worth how many cools? Uh, seven cools. So you have to have enough acres of land that it's worth seven female yeah. servants. Which I, I, I tried to find out how much that was, and uh, the value <laughs> That's of the cool... conversion rate yeah. adjusted for two thousand sixteen dollars. <laughs> the value of a cool varied depending on the quality of the land and things, but okay. it was generally worth about thirty four acres of land or three cows. Okay, so yeah. 30, 34 ish acres of land per cool. Oh, per cool. Oh, wow. So yeah. seven times that. Oh, that's a good chunk of land. Yeah. And Moving up. at this level, we're talking now again, level three, the Okaira, your honor price is set at three sets, which is another unit of measurement. And this one is equal to four-fifths of a cow, which is... Why did they choose that? I, I, but So three sets equals two and two-fifths cows, as I calculated it out. So if you're keeping track out there... <laughs> don't. What is don't it? even yeah, try. Just don't. Don't, just don't. Try. You need some cows. You need some land. Yeah. Yeah. You can also rent up to eight cows from a lord. Oh, great. Okay, yeah. Next, leveling up. Do -do 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 -do. Level four. You rise to an Icha. At an Icha, you have a house. Wait, how is that spelled? That one is A-I-T-H-E-C-H. Icha. Or is it I Icha? I would say Icha. Icha. Yeah. Okay, Icha. Okay. 
um, you have a house, an outhouse, and ten cows. And an by outhouse, outhouse probably meaning like a, like think, a farm building, yeah, not I don't like think a toilet. Yeah, I think so. The outhouse, like the toilet was the bog. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Your honor price is set at four sets, which equals three and one-fifth cows, and you can rent up to ten cows. Okay? Level five, you're a boira. You own half a plow. Ooh, yeah. Man. Half a plow. <laughs> Fourteen cools of land and twelve cows. And you live in a ring fort. Oh, wow. Yes, which is a homestead, kind of like a farm farmer's homestead, that is ringed around with a ditch and a raised earthen rampart. Right. So it's kind of like it's kind of like a snow fort. <laughs> I, I would I would make it a, a snow fort if if I was like a farmer in Minnesota, but in Ireland oh, it was that. probably more like you made your snow fort out of dirt. Yeah, it, was, so it wasn't going to like protect you really from an army. But from an army, no. But it is useful. I mean, because yeah. you think of these families, it's not like a family like we have. It's a family of like 30, 40, 50 people could be living in this homestead yeah. with all your extended cousins and their their spouses and everything, mm-hmm. a bunch of kids, seven kids a person or whatever. So. If you get all of your sons and half your daughters to grab spears with them as a threat to your house, and you have the advantage of fighting from the top of an earthen embankment onto people who have to go through a ditch, it gives you a, it gives you a plus. It gives you, know? you a plus, yeah. Sure. Which is why you get things in a lot of like the old stories about how like someone will just sneak in at night and just like light your roof on fire. And then you have to come out and you know, they're by the door with a sword and all that kind of stuff. You know, <laughs> okay. They don't want to have to fight coming up a ditch. Uh, oh, okay. Right. Okay. okay, that makes sense. Okay, so as a boyera, you live in a ring fort. Um, and your honor price is five sets, which finally equals an even number of cows. One straight up. Four cows. Oh, right, because it's four-fifths per set. Yeah. Okay. And, and you can rent 12 cows. Okay. Okay. Almost done. We've got two more levels. Level six is one of my favorite Irish words because I'm going to give you the spelling first. M-R-U-I-G-F-H-E-R. You pronounce it. Say it one more time. M R U I G F H E R. Marie Of course it is. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Marie Okay. Yeah. If you are a Marie you own a complete plow. Oh, wow. Yes. Oh. You also own a share in a mill, wow. 20 cows, and 21 cools of land. Wow. Your honor price is six sets, so four and four fifths cows. And you can rent two cools of land from a lord. Mm-hmm. Wow. Finally. At this point, you can rent land, not just cattle. Land now. Wow. Because you're getting up there. You're getting close to reaching lordly level. Now, wait. Should we assume that you can also rent the same amount of cattle as the people below you? You can rent the cattle and you can also rent the two I pools think so, of yeah. land? Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Yeah. There's some interpretation there. <laughs> right. Yeah. You have to make a uh, game master call on that one. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, finally. At level seven, the highest level of farmer, you become a fair foley. Nice. And at this point, you have enough of an economic surplus on your farm that you can basically start loaning it out like a lord. Nice. So you're kind of like almost like a transitional lord at this stage. Hmm. You, so you can start getting clients of your own. You're like in the pre-lord yeah. probationary period. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all I have on that. So one. this is the fluidity. So. If you start out as just some kid who lives with his parents and you have like not any cattle of your own, mm-hmm. but you start making smart economic choices, mm-hmm. which we have to remember, it would be choices your family makes with you. Because yes. at a certain point, you don't even have the right to make your own contract. Mm-hmm. You know, But if your dad says, well, I loaned, I borrowed four cattle from the Lord, and I'll let you take care of two of them. If you do a good job, I'll get you half the, the bounty from it. Mm-hmm. So you can work your way up until eventually you have a ring fort, 
hundreds of acres of land, a whole plow sitting in your garage. Mm -hmm. People are giving you money from a mill that you have a, an interest in. Mm -hmm. And now people are coming to you and saying, can I borrow some cattle? And you can say, yeah, actually, you can. <laughs> and that's me, because <laughs> I'm yes. the farmer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so for that farmer, remember, though, that I'm also under the thumb of my lord that right. I contracted yes. to. And he's trying to get me to take more cattle than I can, you know, right. actually afford to take on. And, and you so have whatnot. to fight for him. And I have to fight so for him. That's and the I wild have to card in this, provide like, for his feasts with all his you crazy have to provide for his menu feasts with the right pork shoulders. Yes. But that's the wild card in this. Is that's what makes it different from monopoly or from just trying to start a small business today, which is a similar process. You start uh -huh. small, you get a loan. Yeah. If it goes well, you get a bigger loan, etc. But that's the difference. Is that in this setting, in this in this time period, part of your duty taking out these loans was to fight for the guy. Yeah. So you could just be killed in battle yeah. at any point along the way. So yeah. you're hoping to move up the ladder, yeah. but also not die. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing to remember, again, the whole family thing, you climbing the ladder is not about you individually climbing the ladder yes. only. It's about your whole family right. eventually climbing the ladder. True. Yeah. yeah. So this would pass on to your, your offspring. And do you know also if the military service, like if I owe military service to my lord and that comes up, he's like, yeah, I need, I need you. Can I like send X number of my sons or do I personally have to go? I think that comes up later in Irish history where you start to get mercenaries being... Um, offering that kind of service. Right. And, and oh, like, oh, like you pay us and we'll go take your place. Exactly. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, you see but, an opportunity. But as to your exact question, I don't know. Right. Yeah. Um, Given the family nature, I'm going to guess that, like, you could send your sons yeah. as long as they're competent yeah. warriors. Yeah. So, okay, long story short, I can climb this ladder. Right. Which is pretty amazing. I never would have thought that would ever have been the case in any medieval society, period. <laughs> right. Right? I yeah. thought I was stuck in shit for the, my entire life, basically. But I'm not. However, as we also said before, it's also very easy to slip back. <laughs> there are both ladders and snakes in this game. Right. And if you slip back, then you could really get yourself into trouble. So now we come to you, because you chose to be the, the feeder, the, the yes. transitional slave. Yes. <laughs> I prefer to say indentured servant. It's kind of like an indentured servant, <laughs> sort of. Yeah. The politically correct term would be indentured. Yeah. So if, you, if things get bad enough for you, you risk dropping below level one farmer in terms right. of status hmm. and, and become the feeder or a transitional slave. And you can become a feeder in a number of ways. You can become one by losing your land due to failing to pay your debts. Right. Okay. You can also become one through committing a serious crime. And then right. part of your punishment is to become one of these transitional slaves. Or you can become one by being rescued from death on the battlefield, apparently. Oh, like if someone else rescues me, rescues me, and then I become their feeder? I, in my mind, it's like the scene in the movies where you saved my life. Now I owe you my life. I yeah. like that. Yeah. 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 Is that for X years or is that just like that's your new status? That's the fun part. It's a transitional slave. So a transitional slave is not a full slave, period. Right you have a certain number of generations in your family to raise your status back up to like a farmer level. But if you don't, after, I think it's three generations, if you don't do it after three generations, <laughs> your family becomes permanent hereditary 
serfs, basically. Wow. They're called Shankleha, hereditary serfs. Oh, you know what? You're a Shankleha? Shankleha. Okay. I'm almost sure. Now, I am not fluent in Irish, but I know a good bit of Irish, and I'm almost sure that what that literally means is old equipment. Okay, well, that's interesting. Clayha or Clayhe are like equipment. That's interesting. And Sean so, means old. I'm almost positive that that means you are just like farm equipment. <laughs> okay, well, that's interesting. The The translation that I got in my book mm-hmm. was old house post. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible and great at the same time. Yeah. And lords want you, in a certain sense, to find yourself here because... This is one of the ways that a lord can rise above being just a lord and reach the ranks of the kings. Wow. Kings have a power base Mm -hmm. of free labor, of shanklehas, that they can just exploit, basically. Um, And then they can use all their other wealth to attract clients to increase their wealth further. So they kind of want you to accidentally end up being a slave. Right. Yeah, but you, but but I, what I like about the feature is you're not a Shankleha yet, right. and you're under the gun. I yeah, like I have the a pressure's on. Ticking clock. Yeah, you have yeah. a ticking clock. And it's like you can, at that point you're like, I'm going to hold off having kids. We want to space out these three generations as yeah. much as we can. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's what I got for okay. future. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So now, now from this perspective, we have a challenge for a, like a perspective taking challenge. Great. We have to look. The challenge is to look from the perspective of our role, you right. as the transitional slave, me as the farmer, right. onto Gesha. And I have a situation here to envision. Right. Okay, so imagine that a bard or poet, I think it's Fila? Fila? Yeah, Fila. Fila. One, okay. one is called a Fila. Okay, so a Fila comes to your town telling tales of old. Um, you've heard some of these tales, little bits of them, maybe from your grandmother or grandfather, um, but never like in this whole like epic. And they're all woven together as if it all makes sense. Right. It's this one great, Rand. one single cloth, just like the, the brat wrapped around <laughs> your shoulders, right? <laughs> oh, great so You're reference. like, whoa, right? And there are scenes of heroes and magic. And most of all, there are these mystical jinxes of doom that the poet talks about called Gesa, right? And he tells the story that Andre told at the start of the last episode about Cahollan and how he got his name as the Hound of Cullen. And along with that came a Gesh that he could not eat meat because he was the dog of Cullen, right? Okay. So he tells you, you hear this, this whole epic recited and you you know this is your tv for the day so you're like wrapped with attention and the whole like major parts of the story turn on these gesha being in there the story wraps up and you're left thinking what the hell was that gesha thing right <laughs> and and maybe you've heard of them you've probably heard of them right at, you know at various points in your life too but here it's in this epic it's in this story it's you know this irish tradition you know not like the vikings that we finally fought off it's our thing what do you, what what does that mean to you as a Shankle? No, you're a feature. A as feature. a feature. Yeah, don't, what does that don't, mean? don't mix it up, buddy. <laughs> yeah. I got two more generations to sort this out. I'm on the way up. <laughs> so as a feature, what, what does that mean to you? Wow. Oh, that's that's great. I ooh. Okay, so I'm trying to picture let me get let me get in character for okay. a second. Right? Yeah. So I'm trying to picture who I am. So I yeah. 
I'm just, you know, I'm going to stick with the idea that we're not going to be too grand here. Now, I'm okay. going to be too grandiose. So I didn't, I didn't almost die in battle. Right. I just straight up like made some bad loans. And, yeah. You know, I, I, I lost all my money, yeah. lost my land, lost my little hut. Yeah. Right. So I, I probably have a hunger to uh-huh. climb back up the social ladder. Yeah. I want to redeem myself. Yeah. Uh, I'm worried for my children, uh-huh. you know. I'm always looking for an opportunity. At the same time, I've got to be weary. I mean, they're just using me for labor on somebody else's land. Mm-hmm. It's hard work. They'll, they have to feed me, but like not good food necessarily. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I really, it's fun. It's funny seeing this kind of like clash with my own earlier thesis, but I just feel like I wouldn't care that much. It'd be like, that's, I mean, if I even got to hear this story, it's because like I was allowed to come in and clear the okay. table while uh-huh. the poet was reciting to the people more important than me. Right? Uh-huh. Like I'm sure I'm cleaning pots in the kitchen yeah. and trying to overhear parts of it. Uh-huh. And I, I guess it would maybe at best, it would just be like a good night of watching like a made for TV special. Uh-huh. I think it's kind of fun. And then I got to get up at 4am again tomorrow to go start milking things. Uh-huh. So I don't know that I would care that much unless somebody that it was in that hall had a gate gayish on them. Uh-huh. You know, then I might start thinking my little opportunistic mind, like <laughs> how can I use this to my advantage? <laughs> how can I climb back up? Should I, should I stick with that guy? Cause he's obviously a really honorable guy. Should I try to get him to like, I don't know if it's possible to buy me off of my current uh, master. I don't know. I don't know if you were to transfer it. Say, yeah. I don't, I, don't know. Know. I, don't I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so, but or should I try to think of like, oh, can I get him to break his gauge somehow? Like, uh-huh. and would that benefit me in any way? Mm, okay. I don't know. All right. So you start playing the game. I would game. be scheming. Yeah, you're but scheming. But I wouldn't necessarily be inspired because I, I just want to try to get my hut back. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. So I'm the farmer, right? So I hear this too. Right. We're both standing there. We've been kind of like in two adjacent seats in the theater. Right. Okay. Listening Great. to, the, to the poet, basically. Right. The credits play, etc. And we're left to like talk about, you know, the movie. Right. <laughs> the out- outside well, I'm the polishing theater, right? your bag shoes. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. So maybe you're my feature. Right, point, right, right. right. Okay. So as a farmer, to me, I don't, I don't identify with necessarily having a gish on myself, probably, and I don't necessarily feel like that's likely to happen any in my lifetime. Um, and I might feel a little bit distant, like it's heroes and kings and stuff that are likely to have those. But it resonates with me strongly, I think, with the sense that at my rank and station, there are these things that I have to do or must not do, or I might slip down. Right. And, and, and you can fall into this, you know, snakes and ladders kind of death spiral tragedy where I could end up like you. Right. <laughs> right. So it matters it won't be that violating a gesh or violating whatever it is I'm expected to do at my rank of farmer, it won't necessarily be that it has a supernatural kind of fate conspiring right. against me, but I could, in a more practical sense, end up just as bad, you know, end right. up in the doom of, you know, my in terms of social status. Right. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, and also you are responsible for providing military support to your lord. You've mm-hmm. probably, to work up to your position, you've probably taken out multiple loans from your lord and, and successfully paid them back. Mm-hmm. So you, I guess the sense of honor and loyalty would be, the loyalty would be a really big deal to you. Like that would be a personal thing that you yeah. deal with every day. Yeah. And I also think that even as a farmer, even if I didn't have to fight, I feel like honor and loyalty would be an important thing for me. Yeah. Very important. Because I mean, you are essentially in like a liege relationship with a higher lord 
yeah. who's giving you cattle that you're using to support your family and you're giving him back the cattle with, the, you know, with and, interest. And also my honor is important because even apart from my relationships with my Lord, I'm also entering, entering into marriage alliances and one quarter plow kind of agreements right. with other, other farmers right. and other families. And they have to trust that I'm going to be a good business partner with them. And so keeping my word demonstrates that. And so to that extent, yeah, I guess yeah. kind of makes sense to me. I think That's true. Yeah. Cause yeah. everything you do is steeped in and that's how you've essentially succeeded is like you successfully came through on these loan agreements that were yeah. just essentially a matter of your word. Yeah. If you hadn't, you'd be down the, down the totem pole already. Sure. So you have essentially lived up to your word multiple times in very public ways. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I yeah. like that. Okay, so that's our wild speculation. That might not be true at all about all, how right. it really was. See, now I'm really like stretching. I'm trying to think of any way that my feature would really care about like, oh yeah, this this Gisa man, those are straight. <laughs> I, I got nothing right now. Got nothing. <laughs> got nothing. He just, he just uh, wants to get his house back. One little footnote that I did want to add, and then we're going to close. Yeah. Um, because we had mentioned earlier the question of who owns the land, mm. and you also mentioned um, you as a feature be working somebody else's land. So I just, as a footnote, because this was interesting too, I think of an immediate medieval society, the Lord owns the land, the peasant works it, right. or the serf works it, right? But you actually, you got your land, not by virtue of being a Lord, not by virtue of loaning it from the Lord, although sometimes you could, it was mainly your clan patrimony. Hmm. You got it by virtue of being part of a clan, and so you got a share of all the land all that, the extended that your clan owns. Right. Yes. So that was the main way of owning land, hmm. was through your clan. So in many cases, I would almost imagine that the the lord you're getting loans from might be the head of your clan. Could be, yeah. And you're like one of the many families in that clan, yeah. and you're, you know, they give you a little land to start with, and they start loaning right. you stuff. And True. It might There might be overlap, but it was not by yeah. virtue of taking a loan from that lord that you got the land right. it was by virtue of being part of his clan exactly yeah so he could be he could not be your lord at all any, and you'd right. still be getting the, the land from him and it'd just be yours because you're part of this clan and right. even as a farmer i'm part of the clan i get this land i own it yeah yeah all right the very last thing that we have to talk about is how did this dead idea go extinct <laughs> and this is something where i tried really hard to find some kind of like something to go off of in terms of historical fact really couldn't turn up much of anything. It's just not something that academics seem to have really looked into very much, hmm. probably because I'm guessing that it never really died per se. It just faded sort of away yeah. and just became something just in stories. Right. So there's no defined moment. So I'm just going to speculate wildly and say that probably as there was, you know, changes in cultures, especially when the Normans come over and you get an English influence and different ways of, society functioning that the old ways probably started to lose some prestige so Gesh would lose some prestige along with that yeah. and then much later when the enlightenment comes along and attitudes toward magic starts to be you know changing the less modern and scientific-y kind of thing like Gesh might also lose more prestige and so on till it really is just kind of left as being something in stories. That's the impression. I, I would I would definitely agree with that. I think one thing I'd emphasize is that it's not exactly a uh, pagan versus Christian thing. Um, when you talk about yeah, the, the no. old ways fading away, because the... And I know you didn't mean that, but I'm just yeah. going to clarify yeah. that. I think um, something people don't, don't often realize about Ireland is that these, these stories that we're talking about, these were written down in the 
year 1000 or later in many cases, mm -hmm. well into the Christian period in Ireland. Yeah. And we're still, you know, considered high entertainment and an important part of um, culture. There's actually a movement by Irish monks, thoroughly Christian monks, um, to collect all these stories and write them down because they wanted to show that their mythology was every bit as great as the Greek mythology. Mm. And there are like versions of the, the Trojan War, the Iliad and the Odyssey that are written in Latin in Irish manuscripts by Irish monks because this was considered the height of culture. And then likewise, that same book could contain a copy of the Toyn written in Old Irish in the same manuscript. Yeah. Um, so they did value like the stories of their past, um, even well into the Christian period. But um, the poets were the ones who originally transmitted these kinds of stories. Mm -hmm. And the poets were a surviving group that were essentially originally part of the Druidic priesthood, the pre-Christian polytheist priesthood. And they were allowed to continue in the medieval Christian era because of their cultural importance, mm -hmm. uh, minus their religious duties. They were no longer essentially priests. They were just poets. Mm -hmm. um, but they were strictly monitored. There was actually a person in every school of poetry who was a member of the church hierarchy whose job was to monitor uh, mm -hmm. the teachings for any uh, non-Christian stuff. And there were strict rules on like, yes, you can still do this old poetic practice because it's primarily a meditation but you cannot oh, do this okay. old poetic practice because it involves praying to an idol. So that one's okay. taken off, but you can do the other one. So St. Patrick actually had rules. Like, yeah, if it doesn't involve idols, you can still do it. But if it involves idols, that's now banned, you know? Mm -hmm. So by the time that the, like, the true medieval period, like once we're after 1000 CE, the number of poets were dwindling and they're becoming less and less prominent and bishops were taking their place in society as like kind of the cultural guys right. and monks now had a long tradition. Sure. So one of the reasons they were scrambling to write down these stories would not, was not just to show that they're just as good as the Greek stories. Mm -hmm. It was also because there were less and less poets every year. And so if you had a chance for one of the last poets to come to your monastery, you would just say, listen, start talking. We're going to start writing. Mm -hmm. And they were trying to save yeah. the last of it. So that oral tradition that transmitted these stories died off and mm -hmm. then they were preserved more in the literary tradition, which as we know is less populist. So I think that, yeah, exactly what you're saying. As the culture changed, these old stories kind of lost their prominence. And especially then once the, there was a lot of culture loss under, you know, English dominion. Mm -hmm. There were like formal, like you can't speak Irish anymore. You have to go to English language schools mm -hmm. and any use of those stories in their original language died off. So. And you better and well not wear a mullet. You better, exactly. <laughs> you better yeah. damn well cut your hair. Yes. <laughs> and it did take on political connotations. I mean, yeah. the Fena, the ancient war bands, that's actually a word that the uh, IRA uses for themselves. They describe uh -huh. themselves as a Finn, uh -huh. you know. A war band. And, yeah, it was a war band. And um, Cuhullin became a symbol of the Irish resistance. You know, like, mm -hmm. this is our great warrior. We're going to live up to his example and defend. Literally, he defended Northern Ireland from an army. And they're like, we're going to defend Northern Ireland from an army, you know. Right. <laughs> so there's a lot of, like, the British were not big on, like, no, you're not going to keep your stories. They were we're not going to allow that to continue. But I think it started to fade long before England took over. But sure. that certainly maybe put the final nail in the coffin. Yeah, 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 I would guess so. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for being on the show again, yeah. Andre. Do you want to plug your product one Absolutely. more time? Absolutely. Uh, we just released a coloring book for grown-ups or people of all ages called Introvert Dreams. It has a touching story shown in pictures and words, 90 colorable pages, and it is a journey into an inner dream world. Introvert Dreams, it's available on Amazon. Very cool. Check that out. So everybody, uh, check us out next time. The next episode coming up is going to be story time. And Andre Ooh. pinky swears that he's going to spin us an awesome yarn. I pinky gaish. <laughs> pinky gaish. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you don't want to miss that. So check us out next time. Check us out online at deadideas.net or email us in at deadideaspod at gmail.com. 
You can also find us on social media at, at Dead Ideas Pod. Do you have a dead idea that you would like us to explore? If so, we want to hear about it. So write us in. I'm BT Newberg, and this is Dead Ideas. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. Remember, you can get great perks by supporting the show on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash deadideaspod. For $5 a month, you can get your portrait done in the time period and culture of your choosing. And if you've already received a portrait for a review, you can get another one for yourself or for a friend by contributing. There's that and lots of other great perks at Patreon. Uh, we have a couple of new portraits up this week. We have Joe as World War II British soldier with Land Army girl Ellie Douglas and Michelle Westhoff as Germanic shield maiden with Viking berserker Jeff Wyatt. <laughs> that was a fun one. Uh, both of those are couples portraits, so some nice two-for-ones there. You can see that and lots more on our supporters page on our website, www.deadideas.net. There's also a map of Ireland, references to the books and articles used in the show, and lots more. It's also just a beautiful website with graphic design by Rachel Westhoff. So visit us at www.deadideas.net. All right, see you next week, everybody. Yeah.